Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. Welcome to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show podcast here on a beautiful Friday morning, and uh, thank you for joining in, and it's my pleasure to welcome in one of our longtime friends and one of the really good guys in sports journalism these days in in our modern world, (laughs) Uh, and uh, a guy who uh, knows Carolina basketball and football and everything else inside and out. Um, as much as anybody ever has, as far as I'm concerned, uh, guys very respected in the business and, uh, just a generally good guy overall, Mr. Andrew Jones of Tar Heel Illustrated. Andrew, AJ, good to see you. It's always great to talk to you, Hootie. Always great. And and thank you for the very kind words. I'm glad my, my wife got the script perfectly down when she sent it to you this morning. So <laughs> that's right. Chad. I thought she did a good job. <laughs> she's really, she's become really good at propping me up <laughs> Unnecessary, w- without just cause. She just does it. Uh, it's good to see you smiling after that long, weary trip to Notre Dame the other night. I know you got to be a little yeah. uh, road weary, but uh, uh, it's time of year. You know how it is. We got to go to, I got to fly to Tallahassee Sunday, so it's that time of year. But it's, it's the labor the of love, as you well know. It's the grind, yeah. Uh, from here until uh, sometime in March, there's no rest, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, pretty big game for, for Virginia and Carolina coming up Saturday down in Chapel Hill, Saturday night. Um Tar Heels are fighting for their postseason lives, and Virginia's fighting to stay in the in the uh, double bye situation in the ACC. And you know, I think a lot of people thought, well, you know, they had it wrapped up. But after uh, a visit to Boston College this week and playing maybe one of their worst games in a couple of years, uh, they're teetering a little bit. That, 13 and four tied with Pitt for second behind Miami and uh, only a little bit ahead of Clemson and NC state in the ACC standing. So uh, one more slip up, they could, they could jeopardize their uh, double buy status. And, uh, and not only that, but uh, affect their postseason seeding as well. And if they play in Greensboro, I would, th- I, I've kind of figured all along that they would be a yeah. lock for Greensboro the opening weekend, but they could play themselves out of that. They really well could. And, uh, that, man, that's something you really don't want to do. I mean, that's Greensboro in recent years has been very good to Virginia in the NCAA tournament. So that it, 
they've had good uh, fan support there and uh, seem comfortable there. So, yeah, that would be a, a blow as well if you lose uh, yeah. that, that opportunity. Um, let's talk about the Tar Heels a little bit. Uh, our, our audience knows a lot about what's going on with Virginia, which hasn't been pretty, but um, Carolina looks like they played – Fairly well. I watched, caught a little bit of that game at, at in South Bend the other night. It looks like they they're playing, uh, you know, fairly well. Uh, at least trying to uh, rally and, and put something together here at the end of the season. Well, the first half was statistically the worst offensive half since 1980 for the. Program. I missed that half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you you wouldn't stay around for the second half if you had seen it. I'm sure. I've I've heard from a lot of Carolina fans that actually said they went to bed at halftime because they couldn't take anymore. They they uh they were zero for eleven from three with no assists in the first half. Oh, wow. they were five five for twenty seven from the floor. So it was and then for the game they shot thirty three point three percent, their lowest shooting percentage of the season. Managed to win, and I think a lot of that they did have a lot of grit in the second half. But a lot of that is just Notre Dame's terrible. Yeah, and, which is a shame because I I think the two most underachieving teams in the league were on the court there, and I know they were supposed to be pretty good this year. Yeah, but they've just fallen off a cliff, and they did not handle a lot of things well. Carolina gave them a lot of opportunities with with bad switches leading to mismatches that the Irish didn't take advantage. If that happens Saturday, UVA will take advantage because they're conditioned to to see those things and take advantage of them. I didn't think Notre Dame recognized very well had they recognized well i think the irish would have been ahead by 15 to 20 at the half and the game would have been over carolina was horrible in the first half horrible that was as bad as they have played really offensively but they weren't good defensively either like i was just saying that was some of the poorest switching i've seen it was soft switching there wasn't good communication but notre dame missed wide open shots in fact notre dame didn't score like the first seven minutes of the game and they were wide open jumpers. It was really ugly. In fact, at one point, the two teams were combined eight for forty from the floor. Whoa, which is which is hard, hard, hard to take. But the Tar Heels did respond at halftime. They got a tongue lashing from a couple of assistant coaches, plus their their director of player personnel, who who, who hasn't yelled at them all year. And in fact, I joked with a couple of players after the game said, was this the first time maybe Hubert was ever going to cuss at his life because Hubert Davis doesn't swear. <laughs> and they said, yeah, if there was ever a time to do it, it was at halftime tonight. And uh, but he did let them know he was unhappy. They played with a lot more intensity in the second half. They defended better and offensively they attacked more. They had eight assists in the second half, which I think is a pretty solid number. They generated some points off of their defense, which they don't do very often. Uh, and they were dominant on the glass. They had 16 offensive rebounds in the second half. And they actually had three consecutive possessions with second-chance points uh, in the inside the last four and a half minutes of the game. And I think that's why they won. So that's their recipe. That has to be because they're not a good shooting team. They're not a very well-connected team. They go long stretches without assists. In fact, in their last three games, they have 21 assists combined. So they need to hit the glass. They need to put stuff back. They need to, to carry lunch pails on the floor and try to win that way because they're not the team people thought they would be. They're not that breathtaking bunch that looks like poetry in motion very often. They're a, um, a lunch pail club. I guess they should borrow Virginia Tech's football lunch pail and take it on the court with them because I think that that's their recipe to winning, which is not something a lot of us would have said three months ago. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, 
I've been uh, baffled a little bit just watching them from afar. I'm sure you have been as close yeah. closely as you you have observed this team for years. But uh, well, do you have a hypothesis as as to what has happened with this team? As it certainly hasn't lived up to the expectations. Sometimes the expectations are off, and we are all guilty of it. Uh, I, I I picked them to win the ACC. Um, I did too. <laughs> I, I thought that they were legitimate number one team. Everything I saw the way last season, like they kept improving. I thought if they would have played into May, they would have still been improving in May. So I thought that that would carry over. And then in the preseason, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty vision, Jerry. You know that. And I go back to Charlotte at the ACC tip-off and – we talked to players in July and we talked to them in, all, in, in early October and they were all telling us it's championship or bust. So in October, I asked Hubert Davis, I said, are you okay with them saying championship or bust? He said, yeah, I'm fine with it. I wouldn't say it, but I'm fine with them saying it. And I think that that was where the appearance of maybe a disconnected message started. And a lot of people have seen that. It's, Hubert is in his second year as a head coach. Last year was his first year. He was just kind of flying by the seat of his pants. Now, suddenly he's dealing with having the number one team in America and the kids are saying the things that they were and it's the NIL era and, and Armando Baycott is on TV shows and all that kind of stuff. And Hubert's sort of trying to travel down the lane he did a year ago and it's a different scenario. So maybe it's not resonating as well as it did. And I just think they got off track and they stayed off track. A couple of times it looked like they were climbing back on in fact, they won 10 out of 12 in one stretch, and they were they were sort of brick by brick getting better, which was a weird thing for this team because you sort of expected them just to explode and go nuts for a while and just clobber people. They haven't done that, and now they're, scra they're scrapping. They're just trying to find anything to get them into a win column so they could play in the tournament, and I think there's been a lot of humbling. I think there's been a lot of second-guessing of themselves, of a lot of stuff just – in general, I've talked to players the last month about the way they're defended, and they have. I've had four different players say the other teams know exactly what we're running, and they're snuffing it out because what they run is set play after set play. They don't do that old Roy Williams uh, freelance motion stuff where you learn to play off of each other. Like Tony teaches his kids about reading and recognition, and that's how they play. Uh, Hubert will stop a transition and call play, and then they reset. Armando, who may have had a guy sealed on the block, comes out and sets a high screen, and then they go into really methodical offensive sets that are snuffed out. And I think that that's frustrated the players some. And I, Hubert is sort of fighting this control thing that a lot of young coaches, and I say young, he's 52, but it's only his second year as a head coach. Right. So there's this fighting of how much to trust your guys to let them loose and do their thing versus, oh, my gosh, I've got to micromanage because we're not shooting well, we're doing, not doing this well. And the more they struggle, the more he looks like he wants to micromanage. And I think that that's been one of the big issues with this group. They have not appeared happy a lot of the time. They have not appeared very connected. I'm not saying that they're disconnected from an off-the-court standpoint, but more on the court, it just doesn't look like it's gelled very well. For it's one game to another, it's a different guy trying to maybe step up. Leaky Black will have 10 shots in one game and two in each of the next three, and then 10 again. There's no consistency with a lot of the things that they are, are are doing. So I think that that's sort of caused a lot of the issues. I'm not sure they know where what what ground they stand on right now, and it's near the end of February. That's not a good sign. Yeah, and and 
time is is the clock is ticking, so to speak. You got yeah. Virginia coming in Saturday, and then you got the Florida State and Duke. So uh, not a lot of opportunities remaining unless you want to try to do something in Greensboro. Um, what do you what do you think they have to do to make the tournament? Uh, they're nine and eight in the ACC, seventeen and eleven overall. Yeah. They got to win. I think they got to beat UVA. They can't afford to lose at Florida State, which has kind of fallen back again. They they had a little uptick when they got some guys back. Now they're getting clobbered again, um, and they can't afford to beat Duke. They here's the thing: I've been telling Carolina fans <clears throat> for about ten days now. You need to root for Duke to win because Duke needs to be a quad one game. Not when Duke comes in. This is what I was saying about you. This is what was so damaging about UVA's loss the other night for Carolina. And actually, Armando Baycott spoke about that when we finished the interviews the other night in the hallway just outside the locker room. He's like, what happened to UVA? And he's like, we needed them to win. Because now they dropped to, what, 21 in the NAT. What are they if Carolina beats them? It's not what the Q1 is when they show up. It's what are they when they leave. Yeah, and Carolina needs Duke to win because they need quad one wins. They're what zero and nine right now in quad one games, and um, they don't have any significant wins outside the league. Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State's falling off a cliff, so they have to win these three. They probably have to win a game or two in, in Greensboro, to be honest with you, because the ACC I think is going to get punished. The league is getting is getting beaten up. It's seventh, I think, right now in the ratings. When you see Pittsburgh on the ten line. And they're clearly one of the top three teams in this league. That's a scary proposition if you're scratching and clawing to get into the tournament. So UNC really has no room for error, especially if they blow Q1 opportunities. If you can't get a Q, more than one Q1 win, you shouldn't be in the field if you're in a power conference. So I think that they're in a bad situation, but they are capable of playing themselves out of that. And I think that's the one thing people are still holding on to. And it's what they are. R.J. Davis said the other night, look, we're a good team. We could be really good. It just depends on on, on what our disposition is going into games. And I think how they respond to in-game adversity. Earlier in the year, we saw signs where they weren't handling it well. And everybody said, well, they're just going to come out of it. They just need to be humbled a little bit. Well, Notre Dame had a 15-2 to run the other night. And it should have been 22-2, to 24-2. to they just don't dig themselves out of holes in, in midstream uh, like you would think that they would, as experienced as they are. So they have to play well early in these games, I think, to have a chance to win, including in Tallahassee. They go down there with 4,000 people in the building. You know how that place is down there. If it's not yeah. anybody in there, it's a mausoleum. Yes. And you have to generate your own intensity, and that's something this team struggles to do. That's why they're getting tongue lashings in the locker room on February 22nd playing a, a two-win team on the road. So I, th I think they, they have a long way to go. Yeah, I've been to Tallahassee this time of year, and uh, there'll be the Florida-Florida State baseball game going on and uh, the State of Florida boat show, and then uh, it would be the Virginia-Florida State basketball game, and there would be more people at the baseball game and the boat show than there was at the basketball game. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, when they're good, when they're good, they draw, especially like in January, right. they draw really well. But this time of year, and people have checked out. Yes. And, and it's understandable that they've checked out. So Carolina's going to have to generate their own intensity Monday night, and that's not something this team has done very well with all year. And Virginia's got to recapture something, too. That, uh, the, I mean, we all kind of saw it coming that 
They played poorly at Louisville and escaped. They played poorly at home against Notre Dame and escaped. Uh, the good one missing a wide open three pointer at the buzzer. And, um, you know, you knew if they continued that somebody was going to jump up and bite them. And Boston College put it on them pretty good. Yeah. Uh, good game plan. Uh, Virginia seemed disinterested. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of focus that Tony can uh, regain with his team going into Chapel Hill. And even though Virginia has got clobbered there last year, they, they had, and, and usually gets clobbered down there. I mean, they had that nice streak of two or three, four seasons there where they, they didn't lose. But uh, generally Chapel Hill has been a tough place for Virginia as it has for everybody. But um Going back, it's going to be interesting going back to that first game uh, when Carolina and Virginia played A.J. Um, Baycott, of course, rolled his ankle in the first two minutes and didn't play the rest of the game. And then the big freshman, uh, Washington, came in and, and gave Virginia problems until – and that's that's where Tony came up with the small lineup that has been so successful. Yeah. And they've stuck with it almost ever since. Um, it it hasn't been performing well the last few games, and and neither has Vanderplas, who is sort of one of the keys to that. Uh, we're wondering if if there might be a, some kind of a shakeup in the starting lineup or something going into Chapel Hill to try to get this team refocused. You think they go a little bit bigger because Carolina's not going to change. I mean, they're going to start right. Vance. He's going to play those guys. To 170 minutes, 175 minutes, it's he's not going to change. So you know what they're going to do, and I would I wonder if uh, Tony would go a little bit bigger in this game, especially because Carolina has been a much better rebounding team the last several last month or so since they were in uh, Charlotte for the first time than they were previously. That's the one thing about this team that has picked up is their rebounding, and also they're getting more production off their offensive rebounds. There was a period there where they were getting about. You know, 0.8 points per offensive board, and you need to be higher than that. Now they're at the sort of the 1.1 to 1.3 points per offensive rebound, and that's their ultimate part of their offense. When you shoot as terribly as they do, if you can grab your own misses and increase your scoring opportunities, uh, they they were 33.3 percent the other day, and I think they scored them you know 50 percent of their possessions. So that's offensive rebounding, and that's I think an area that you might see if Tony's going to tweak something. Maybe Shedrick plays because a little bit bigger, maybe help them a little bit more on the glass. And and also doubling down on Armando. They didn't have to do that in the first game because he didn't play. Right. But do you want to double with – you want to have Shedrick down there and then double with somebody, or do you want to have Vanderplas down there? I think that that's something Tony's going to have to figure out. And you're right. I wouldn't be surprised to see if there's a little bit of a tweak there. Yeah, and and Nance didn't play that first game either. Uh, if I no, that's right. He was out, yeah. So uh, they Virginia faced a much smaller Carolina team in that game than they will Saturday night. Uh, it's funny you were looking at some uh, college basketball analytics, and they were posting the most effective lineups for every team in Power Six basketball. And one of the most effective teams of of any team in Power Six was the Virginia lineup that had Shedrick in it. Believe it or not. Uh, as opposed to the smaller lineup. And so <clears throat> a lot of Virginia fans are confused as to why Shedrick's not getting more court time. I think it 
it, it might be, and, and what Tony hasn't addressed it a lot, but uh, it might be the fact that it's sort of the Jay Huff syndrome that he's just not as strong as he needs to be against guys like uh, Baycott and maybe uh, footwork issues. I, I don't know, but something is is uh, has cut down on his playing time. And uh, Vanderplas, you know, when he's on, uh, Virginia's very hard to beat, especially if Frank yeah. shooting the ball well. But when Vanderplas is off, and he has been off, he's only uh, he's only made eight of his last thirty three point attempts mm-hmm. over the last nine games. Uh, that makes Virginia a lot more vulnerable because a lot of people will tend to slough off of him and uh, cut down the the uh, driving lanes, and that that really has impacted Virginia's offense. I think. Yeah, they, their scoring's been down. For about a three four weeks now, and yeah. when I've they, they've looked more stagnant, and and I guess correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it looks like McNeely's been playing more because he can shoot. Yes, he needs a score out there, and Franklin's so hot and cold that, that you don't really know what you're going to get one night to the next with him. And he's been trying to find ways to get some scoring. I know Dunn, I guess, has been playing a little bit more because he's athletic, but I think you need to go strength against Carolina because they're going to try to get it to Armando. Yeah. And if you don't let Armando get quality touches and you force Carolina to try to beat you with those guards shooting, you got a good chance because RJ Davis, who was hot for a while has been off he's shooting around 20% in the last month since he injured his finger at Syracuse and Caleb Love's been shooting okay lately, but you know, he's the other night for classic Caleb Love, the other night, they, the Carolina opened strong right out of the gate in the second half at Notre Dame. They're getting some points off turnovers, and they're they, they're putting a pr- lot of pressure on the Irish. You, you're thinking, okay, this is a run. They're in the middle of a run here, and they can extend this thing for a while. They get in transition. Love comes down one on three, pulls up, and jacks a three. There's no rebounder there. Misses hard off the back of the rim. You see the reaction of the staff on the bench, like, give me a break. So if you can get him into that mode, enough because it doesn't take a lot for Virginia to capitalize. If you, you take, if you take bad shots because of bad decisions against Virginia, you're just playing right into that trap and Carolina's guards, especially Caleb tend to do that at times. So if they keep Armando from getting touches and getting quality looks and force him to dribble away from the doubles and kick it out, that's a winning scenario for UVA because basically you're counting on Carolina not being hot from the perimeter. And it is an example they hit 15 threes against Clemson two weeks ago, which is pretty amazing because they've been a poor three-point shooting team all year. Every once in a while, they flare up. Since then, they've hit 14. They're 14 for 75 since then. That's wow. 18.7%. Wow. They were two for two for 23 the other night from three. Both were by love. He's had He has eight of the 14 threes in the last three games, and he's only shooting like 20%. So <laughs> I think it's pretty simple. If you – you snuff out those plays that they run and keep Armando from getting the ball in position to do a lot of damage and get to the line a lot, which he does. Then to me, that's all you has to do is be fairly efficient offensively and they should win the game. But the UVA team I've seen the last couple of weeks has really not been very impressive at all. I thought that they were a club that can make a run and and maybe get to Houston because, you know, when you've got Beekman getting a little bit better offensively and he's sort of that guy that can pound the ball on the floor and get you a bucket 
you need that kind of player to get to the final four. They were starting to look like a club that definitely could get to Houston, but the last few games, they haven't at all. It looks like Miami and NC State might be more built for a lengthy run than Virginia is right now. So which Virginia team, what offensive Virginia club shows up Saturday night, I think will have a lot to do with how this game goes as well. Yeah, that's that's the big question. We've been wondering uh, for the last couple of days now, and I totally agree. I, I think Virginia fans were anticipating a deep run, but the way they have fallen off in the past uh, week and a half leaves you wondering about uh, a whole lot of things. And so it's going to be interesting to see uh, who shows up in Chapel Hill. And, and uh, I guess we'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah, it, the potential for a game that will not be worthy of a time capsule for later viewing is certainly there. <laughs> it's a, you're exactly right. AJ, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. We appreciate it, man. I've, I've uh, Unfortunately, even though it's basketball season, i got to run for a football press conference. <laughs> We've got we've got one next Wednesday, so I'm right there with you. It's always great talking to you, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much I ran my first marathon that year. Then because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Goodfeet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com.